again, if you're doing something that's been done before, uh, I think it's easy to say, hey, look at them. This is what we're trying to accomplish. And it, they give a great example to follow, right? If that's, if that's an example, you're kind of modeling yourself after. But if you're trying to do something new, you have to be really good at instilling you know, good culture, but also create a great mission and a great, frankly, you know, a mission statement. Hey, welcome to My Company Story. I'm your host, Don Burge. My Company Story is a podcast where I get to interview some of the most interesting business owners and CEOs about the challenges that they've faced and how they've overcome them. Enjoy the show. I'm here today with uh, Nicola Garetti. He is the co-founder and CEO of Superbit Machine. Nicola, welcome to My Company Story. Thanks for having me. Okay, can you tell us a little bit about what Superbit Machine is? What do you guys do? Tell us what the company is. We make cross-platform multiplayer games. Uh, we, and myself and my co-founder, we founded the company uh, in 2017 now. It's, it's been three years, Feels, fears, uh, doesn't feel that long. Uh, but basically, uh, you know, the whole premise for us is we wanted to make, uh, you know, games that we love to play, but also games that you can pick up anywhere. You can pick it up, pick it up on your phone or tablet or PC and you can play cross-platform with your friends. So um, can you tell us what, what's a game that the audience might have heard of? So we just released actually a first game with this company. It's called Armajet. It's basically a real-time multiplayer shooter, but it isn't, it's, it's a platformer shooter is what we call it. It's similar to kind of like a Super Smash Brothers with guns, if you will. Okay. It's a little bit more of a uh, easier entry to play, a little bit more accessible than something like a Call of Duty, for instance. But okay. it still kind of gets you going as a, as a shooter would. Got it. So you guys, you, you make, you, you, you built the game, you built the machine from scratch. I mean, this, this game from scratch, right? A multi-cross platform multiplayer game. Yeah, how did, we, you get, um, how, how did you get into that? I mean, how did you, I mean, you're, you're a fairly young guy. I've only done this for three years. What was your path leading you up to doing this? So I started out as, as many kids would just playing video games, right? It's, uh, it's been a big passion of mine uh, since the, I guess the nineties, I was born in 85. So right as I got into my teens, I started playing PC games, um, you know, occasional console, but PC was really my, uh, my go-to. And in the late nineties, early two thousands, I used to, uh, you know, when internet really uh, became a thing, I started playing games online, uh, like many folks do nowadays. Um, and I, you know, started getting good at a few of them, uh, you know, playing against real people online, uh, namely Unreal Tournament and Quake, and ultimately started competing. Uh, so you play online and you hear about a competition, it's a few hundred bucks here, a few hundred bucks there, right? And then competition started to, to give out larger prizes in the thousands or even ten, tens of thousands. So back in 2003, at the time I was still living in Italy, I was born and raised there. Um, I had heard of a big competition called World Cyber Games, which, were, uh, which was uh, uh, recruiting from every nation and the nature, nation would sponsor a group of players to go play the game, go to the finals in Korea. Back then was a was a really big deal uh, and really the only big international competition. So in 2003, I, I was able to go to the qualifier, win the nationals and ultimately win the grand final in, in Korea, so wow. I was a world champion of that game, which was which was amazing. I mean, that's fantastic. I was eighteen, and I was just having an amazing time doing it. So, so one 18, of the things that eighteen years yeah. old, you win this grand prize in Korea. How much money was it, if I might ask? Back then, for me, it was everything. It was twenty thousand dollars. That's huge <laughs> for eighteen. Pre, yeah, pre-tax. Pre I, I <laughs> you know, I got my car. Uh, you know, and uh, I, yeah, I mean, it was amazing. The, the best experience to me. And really, to me, what the gaming is still all about, especially competitive games nowadays, which are called esports, it's really just a social activity. It's just being able to travel, uh, meet people from all over the world. Uh, ultimately, that's how I learned to, to speak English, right? Yeah. Just uh, uh, trying to figure out how to communicate with people everywhere. 
Uh, anyway, yeah, well, it was one of the best times of my life for sure. And then I, I got to ask you a question on this because the, the stereotype gamer is a guy sitting in his parents' basement with his head up and not socializing at all. And yet you're saying it's a very social experience. Can tell me about that? What do you mean by that? That, that seems contrary to what I've always uh, thought. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's certainly <laughs> a lot of people that are in the basement playing. I think uh, <laughs> internet really opened up to, uh, for people, especially people that might not be, uh, you know, might be a little bit more introvert, just might not be uh, in the um, in the classic sort of uh, social sphere, if you will. And and it really allows uh, people to socialize in different ways. And what I really love about just gaming online in general is that unlike traditional sports, it's it's it was international to begin with, right? You might be you know pressing a button, joining and matchmaking, and start playing with someone, and this person may be from anywhere in the world, and it's. It just, you know, back then it was, you know, it used, it used to be a pen pal with someone from Australia right. or something, right? That was right. the extent of, of what you could do. And, and that was exciting. But nowadays you can do it with the click of a button and it's, uh, it's phenomenal because then you can, it's instant, you can chat, you can play with or against someone. It's, it's, it's really great. And so a lot of, yeah, a lot of people have grown into that space, including myself and what ultimately led me to, to be able to experience it's, you know, again, leaving my, my country of origin and ultimately just have such a more rich life experience in general, which I think that, you know, I've been fortunate to be able to do that. Uh, it's okay. not, not, it's not for everyone, but I think that just gaming in general allows you to do that. And I think that's wonderful. That is wonderful. That's great. Congratulations. So, so take us from this journey. So you're this 18 year old kid and he wins this big $20,000. You've and buy a fancy car. You go back home to Italy. You're still gaming. Take us from that spot to then starting your own company with co-founding a company that you're doing that's a very successful company. I mean, take us, how did you get from the kid to the entrepreneur? So I've, um, so yeah, after I went back to Italy, I, you know, the, I mean, it was, you know, obviously at the pinnacle of my, of my gaming career, I you know, had sponsors approach me. So then that allowed me to be able to travel without having to worry so much about expenses. Right now I was, I was competing in different tournaments and, and I was able to do it in, in, a, in a pro, if you will, way, at least, at least at the time. Um, later, around uh, 2004, I met my, um, 2005, excuse me, I met my, who is now my wife uh, in New York. Uh, she was actually promoting a documentary about professional gamers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's really where the two worlds collided. I, I, I was in New York on this competition, was the biggest one at the time, I think. Um, you know, we had about a million dollars worth in prizes and uh, in, in cash, really. And um, an MTV broadcast that was a big, the first big televised event. And it was incredible. Um, I did not win this, comp- this competition for the record, <laughs> but I, I was I was going to run up, run up there at the finals. And it's uh, really that's that's really with the, the point where I told myself, listen, I've been doing this for five years. It's great. But also, you know, I'm, you know, gaming, especially professional gaming has has a relatively short lifespan for people that as they grow up. Right? I mean, athletes generally are like people that do this, don't do it for too long. Right. So I looked at sort of my options, but most importantly, really what changed it all, it's, it's the, it's, it's meeting, meeting the, uh, you know, my wife at the time there. And I was really interested in a, you know, slightly different uh, avenue. I, she, uh, she was living in, in Los Angeles at the time. I had never visited. So I decided to go back to Italy. Uh, then kind of uh, a few weeks later, just go to LA. Uh, spend some time with her, and that's really where where I ended up saying, okay, this is this is my place to be. And so, you know, big change, of course, changing countries altogether. My intent at the time was, okay, how do I how do I continue being a professional here in the states? Um, at the time, gaming in Europe and and in, in the U.S. was very very different, both culturally and what 
games were what kinds of games were played, the the competitive space, um, the tournaments were not as many. They were different. They were very different. Um, so I, you know, it was it was uh, it was kind of a hard moment because I had to tell my I had to kind of figure out a different way to really earn my living. You know, at the time it was those students. So right. So you um, came you came to LA and you're still making a living and and buying groceries from gaming money, right? You're still gaming and getting and sponsorships like that. And then at some point, did it change then and you decided to then make some games or how did that, how did you uh, shift into that? So I had a background in electronics um, and also, of course, I dabbled in a little bit in kind of uh, web and online properties. And at the time, this was 2006 at this point, it was kind of the, the beginning of big social networks, right? I think MySpace was to kind of around the corner. It was just about out and Facebook was about to kind of like hit it big. And so, you know, at the time I was building, I started building websites and, and actually social even uh, social media sites um, back then. And so we had a, had a kind of portfolio of clients, especially in LA, this is again, this entertainment capital. So, um, you know, I got a lot of work through, uh, you know, through that. And one interesting thing is, um, again, coming from online games, there was a little bit of, uh, of a parallel with the things that I was studying and kind of implementing for clients, um, as well as what I, re- what I remembered and what I knew from gaming. And so, uh, a little bit later, a couple of years later, after you know, kind of doing a lot of work like that, I started dabbling into into real time uh, networking solutions. You okay. know, how do you get one client to communicate with another client, and how do you get into do it very quickly over the network? And that's really what fuels um, a lot of games nowadays. If you play a, any kind of game online, and you move your character, and you see the other guy move immediately in your screen. There's a lot that goes on under the hood, right? Right. Um, that's very different from websites, which is what I was doing at the time. But I'd like to think that having the experience from a player kind of gave me a little bit of a, of an advantage in, in trying to understand what's most important for the player, right? What, what kind of, um, how do you implement something like that? And at the time, it still wasn't about gaming. Uh, that really only got started when um, uh, I decided to, you know, venture out. Uh, at the time, I was doing my own thing, but I just really wanted a team. I wanted right. to, to learn from others, uh, especially from the gaming space. And so there, was a, there were a few folks from Electronic Arts that actually had split off from Electronic Arts and decided to build their own uh, company, but they had no technical experience. Oh. Um, the company uh, at the time was called Buffalo Studios. This was, uh, this was now 2010. Okay. And, uh, you know, kind of uh, went in, there were only, I think, four of them at a time at the office, if that. And uh, yeah, basically just, they hired me almost on the spot. And, and that's really where it all started. So you're with Buffalo Studios, and now you're with guys who are actually coding and programming and all that. Now you have a company that you're working within. And then now, t- did you how, compare the, what's been the hardest challenge between Superbit Machine compared to Buffalo Studios? Well, it was a different time. And the, the gaming space, really, you know, it's, it's moves very quickly. Um, I think the, 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 the challenges that we have now with Superbit, I mean, with any company, frankly, in this space, especially ours, which... And we specialize in real-time multiplayer uh, games. It's really finding great talent. Um, it's finding talent that is hungry for 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 challenges that kind of haven't been solved in space. Uh, and that's really what um, we really focus on. Super the machine in early day with Buffalo Studios. Uh, you know, we also did real-time multiplayer, but we were, I think, fortunate enough that it was at a time where, especially in LA, we had a lot of interactive talent coming from companies nearby, even Disney, for instance. Right, they were kind of spearheading that that is drawn, especially social, social games or social online experiences. So was, at the time it was a little bit of a different challenge. With Buffalo Studios, it was all about, uh, you know, how do you, how do you create a good, 
product to market fit onto a new platform, which at the time was actually Facebook games. Mm. Um, so with Buffalo studios, I, I was able to kind of, uh, you know, create my own team there, uh, tech talent, hire engineers for front end, for back end to be able to create database systems and the engine to run it all. And it was phenomenal. I mean, we were very, again, it's, it was right place, right time. Um, we actually created a, uh, it was a, uh, it was a bingo product. It was an online bingo game. Mm. It wasn't gambling though. It's just how you would play in a game on Facebook nowadays or even on mobile, to be honest okay. with you. And um, yeah, it exploded. It just, we never spent a dollar in marketing, at least in the first year or two. And it just grew virally. Like a lot of, uh, like, a, like, like, like nowadays you would get a hashtag on Twitter, for instance, yeah. blowing up, right? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, two years in, uh, we, we actually started getting some, some requests for acquisition, some M&A offers. And at the time, I think there were maybe about 100 and 120, 140 of us So picture a company going from four to 140. I mean, as you know, it's, at about 30 or 40, you start losing track of who you're hiring and all yeah. everyone's names. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's a big cultural shift in a very short amount of time. Uh, and that was probably one of the things that uh, I learned a lot from uh, because, you know, in retrospect, it was good that we scaled that quickly because we needed to bolster the marketing uh, side, especially. Um, but also culturally, we kind of were, uh, you know, were, um, you know, we, we, we were just fostering really primarily one game, which was Bingo Blitz. So we how did a lot how, with it. How did you exit Buffalo Studios and then start Superbit Machine? Tell us about that transition. So we ultimately we got acquired by Caesars, the, the casino company. Um, and you know, I was there, uh, ultimately stayed there for a couple of years to learn more from corporate life, frankly, right. to see how things were done at a, at a larger scale and learn from that. And I even dabbled a little bit on the product side and just to understand uh, best how to, how to design something that, cause this is now a game that is running for three, four years, Ops, which so at the time to, was very unusual. So you sold the business, Buffalo studios to Caesar. Caesars buys it. They keep you on as an employee, I take it, or as a key mm -hmm. man to stay and run the place. But you're free to go. You're free to do what you want after that then, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, the, anytime somebody, there's an acquisition uh, event, there, you know, there's an earn out period. Uh, mm -hmm. So I stay there for that. Ultimately, we, we were given some targets. We, we far exceeded those targets, which Great. means that then the earn out was that much better. And then ultimately, uh, that, uh, that success we had in, the, in those last couple of years allowed uh, myself and my co-founder, frankly, to, to be able to take some time off. Got it. So um, you and your co-founder so, kind of, you, you both, you're both at Buffalo Studios, take time off and then start up with Superbit Machine. And it started with, did it start with an idea with a game that you wasn't out there yet that you wanted to come up with? And then you started building the team after that then? Yeah, we, you know, look, I'm extremely proud of what we did at Buffalo Studios, but bingo isn't exactly a game that I would see myself playing. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and honestly, the fact that we're able to, to do so much in a genre that we were not familiar with, I think it speaks to the fact that it was just, was a good product, a good right. game. Um, but you know, yes, we wanted to make games that we really love to play. Cause we like, we, we wanted to think that, you know, being able to, especially a game that's competitive where, which is really my background. Right. Um, what allows us to really, you know, excel in a space that we found that was really underrepresented. Um, so and so, so take us, take us in the future now, then with Superbit Machine, you've been in three years doing this and now go through, I know it's a fast moving industry, but go three years in the future now, where do you see the industry going? What trends do you see happening in this gaming space? Well, uh, there's a few. I mean, we've, we just kind of, um, you know, we just kind of went from, you know, uh, there's a lot of VR in the last few years, a lot of companies that have raised a lot of money in VR. 
uh, ultimately, VR is still a niche kind of product. Uh, we see, um, you know, the, the main issue is just the cost of hardware and cost of entry. A lot of companies have done a lot to kind of ease into it, such as PlayStation. Um, I think in the next few years, I mean, even this year, I think we're going to see a lot more announcements. Is we're going to see a lot of AR. Um, now, AR attached, you know, applied to gaming may not be, may not have a sort of, sort of big product fit just yet, but I think we're going to see a lot of uh, mobile uh, uh, mobile effort towards AR this year, whether it's whether it's with games or something else. And then ultimately, you know, we've seen some announcements from last year. Um, you know, cloud gaming is becoming more and more interesting. Um, I think, you know, right now there's a there's maybe an issue with the with the, with image the way it's portraying, but essentially, you know, it's uh, cloud cloud gaming is is the way it's at least introduced nowadays is being able to play anything anywhere without having actually to download the game, right? Mm -hmm. So Google with Stadia is kind of the forerunner of that. And so, you know, right now we're still, you know, the product is launched, but I still think we can consider an early beta. I think maybe, uh, but in the next year, as they invest in more studios and invest in more exclusives, I think we're going to see um, a lot more interest from customers, maybe more about in, in 2021. But I think we're going to see a, uh, we're going to find ourselves in a place where I can play any game of any size, really, even really high AAA kind of quality games on my phone and then on my PC and on my console. It doesn't really matter where you play it. Wow. And, you know, that's, that's partly what we're doing as a studio ourselves is, although not uh, cloud gaming in the traditional sense, we're creating experiences you can pick up on a phone and play on a PC as well and kind of bring your progress so you can play in real time with, with folks that are on one platform or another. And I think we're going to see more of that. Oh, that's tremendous. And, and, and you're positioning your company to be in the forefront and leading that, uh, riding that wave in the future then, I take it. I'd like to say that we've, we, we have an amazing team here that has, you know, uh, uh, really, you know, had a deep dive in that experience of what it means. I mean, we've, we certainly, it's, it certainly has had its share of challenges, right? How do you get a, a game that's fair to play on PC versus someone on the phone that uses fingers as opposed to, uh, you know, uses touch as opposed to keyboard and mouse, right? right so it's right. not for all products, but uh, I'd like to say that we've we've kind of uh, we nailed that in some sense. Uh, but all, but again, the more we develop on it, the more we release stuff on it, the more we have to be careful about creating That's that great. sort of balance, especially for a competitive game. That's great, Nicola. Now let me ask you. I I ask everyone coming on the show what challenges you've faced and how you've overcome them. And you've had, especially, I'd, I'd like to dwell in the if you want to in this in the two businesses that you've had. What would you compare you've done better or worse between uh, Buffalo Studios and Superbit Machine? What challenges did you face and then how did you overcome those with uh, comparing those two companies? I think, um, well, uh, you know, I can start with the Superbit Machine one. I think, you know, I mentioned that it's hard to find good talent. Not that it's not out there, but it's hard to find a good, uh, you know, a good team that you can, you can grow and you can scale and you can kind of, uh, you know, um, really push a lot of good positive leadership on and get people engaged as much right. as possible. I think, you know, with Superbit, I think we were there now, but you know, I wish we were, we had done that a little bit sooner. So I the, think talent, that, the challenge was bringing, finding and recruiting and bringing that, that great talent in that you have now. As well as, you know, again, if you're doing something that's been done before, uh, I think it's easy to say, hey, look at them. This is what we're trying to accomplish. And they give a great example to follow, right? If that's, if that's an example, you're kind of modeling yourself after. But if you're trying to do something new, you have to be really good at instilling you know, good culture, but also create a great mission and a great, frankly, you know, a mission statement, if, if you will, for people to understand and follow. And, and ultimately, you won't have to micromanage as much as I've had to do for, for, a, little, for a while to, because people will just do what, 
what you've outlined in the, in the mission statement um, in so many words. So Yeah, that's great yeah. advice. So really, what you're talking about is create, as a CEO and the leader of the company, creating the vision and the mission statement for everyone to get behind and follow, make it articulate enough and clear enough that new employees, even though you can't point to a, a we're going to do it like Disney, you can't do that because you're not doing it like anybody right now. You're doing it custom to your own, right? Yeah, look, and it's it's not as easy as just printing something out and putting it on a wall, right? That becomes very, people tend to get very cynical about that. And we, that's not what we do here, right? It has to be, you know, has to be pushed with very clear examples with, with, uh, you know, with just, you know, it's, it's a process I'm still learning, right? I mean, I'm, uh, leadership is certainly isn't something you can learn from books. So no. it's, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's something that I'm still kind of dealing with. And on the Buffalo, Buffalo, Buffalo Studio side, I think the the bigger challenge, I think was, yes, how do you get a company from, you know, six people to hundred plus in, in, in a couple of years without, or at least evolving what you should be doing as a studio. So at the time, you know, we started out kind of as a, as a, as, as a gaming studio, right? We're all about, let's do, let's do something creative. Let's do something amazing. You know, we were there just like Superbit to develop, uh, distribute and market what we have. So we have complete control over our product from end to end. Uh, but, you know, later on, once we have acquired and grew a lot more on the marketing side, we became more of a marketing machine, which was really amazing, actually. I mean, that was the right thing to do because it's, you know, ultimately we got acquired and we had really maximized the return. But, you know, one of the things that I wanted to see there was really, you know, how do we create more games? How mm-hmm. do we use our brand to, to define us, uh, to create customer loyalty and create more of an experience that people, ha- you know, expect when it's attached to the name, say, Buffalo Studios? And, you know, again, it's, uh, I think culturally it was a little bit different and it's ultimately why I decided to, that, that my time there was, was over. And that's what I'm trying to really accomplish here at Superbit. I see. So you had a great run with Buffalo Studios and now you're trying to recreate that and get that same culture back now. And, and from the lessons you learned at that experience, now taking them and applying them to where you are right now. That's accurate. That's fantastic. That's great. What any other before we wrap up here, Nicola? Any other any bits of advice that you would want to pass on to a uh, a young eighteen year old who just won a super tournament somewhere and is thinking about their life career and where they want to go? Any bits of advice you'd want to pass on to uh, someone uh, someone coming up the road? Um, I think uh, you know, think long and hard about what you know what you really want to do. What would really make you happy? I mean, I never. You know, I never thought of myself as as a, as a company leader, or even wanting to have, frankly, a, 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 a I just never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. Even uh, I think what drives me forward, outside of course the, you know, I have a background as an engineer, so innovation and, and interesting problems to solve are obviously always driving me. But as as a CEO of a company, it's it's not just that, right? It's it's a lot about making sure that we have a team that grows organically, that works well together, has a good culture and frankly that have a really good reason to come to work. I mean, uh, recently we've, we've outlined a series of changes to actually get people to think about what, you know, how they see themselves as individuals, uh, whether it's serving the company or not uh, in, in, you know, in a few months and really trying to accomplish those goals. And we, as a company, we help them do that. And, and ultimately even in the first few months of implementing that, it's already um, manifested itself in high productivity and people are happier to come to work, even though it wasn't really aimed at helping the business. And so, that really makes me happy. The fact yeah. that we can, we can get, you know, sure we have, uh, you know, almost 27 employees, but the fact that we have such a good, healthy base that then these folks are going to be the ones, you know, uh, um, to some extent leading the people that we hire after the, after, after them. Yeah. Right? And I think that's a good way to organically grow a team. Certainly not from, 
you know, six to 100 in two years, because uh, we're not there yet. But I, I like to think that we're full quality over quantity. That's fantastic. And that and that's really great advice. I think that's, that's a good place to leave it on this. But before we do end, if anyone listening to this wants to get a hold of you, Nicola, what's the best way to do that? Well, you can certainly find me on LinkedIn. I mean, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on Twitter as, as well. Just you can search my name and Nicola Dreddy. Um, and yeah, hey, you can always uh, download the game. You can find me in the game with the, with the Dreddy tag. So I can always find you there. I love it. That's a great idea. All right. Nicola, thanks very much. It's been great talking to you today and uh, best, of, uh, best of luck and we'll follow your success. Thank you. Thank you, Don. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening to My Company Story. We have new episodes coming out every week, so please subscribe if you like this. And if you'd like to hear previous episodes, you can go to mycompanystory.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you or someone you know would be interested in coming on the show, please email me at don at Thanks for listening.